You know, I always appreciate the prayers of our people, but never more so than in the midst of this series, this preparation. And so thank you so much for your prayers, my direction as well. And I want to assure you of our prayers, your direction, and especially to our Kindle campus worshipers today. We carry you in our hearts. We have you in our prayers. We're remembering you on this very special day and want you to know of our love. Uh, we also greet those that are gathering with us for the very first time, as well as those that consider this their home. And we are asking God to visit us in a special way today. His promise that we hear throughout Scripture is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. We pray for a season of healing upon our land, upon our world, upon your life, your family, your future. May God stir us to pay attention to him today in that way. We pray in his name, amen. Now, in the United States, this weekend has two significant celebrations. Uh, one is Valentine's Day. And today, this Sunday, is considered Super Bowl Sunday. Um, now, at first blush, today's message may seem strange on such a week of, uh, of major competition with a field of conflict mashed up with the true drama of love. And yet that is what Revelation chapter 12 and 14 also feature. A mashup of a major field of conflict with a true drama of love. Our text today from the apocalypse, that's the first word in the Greek text of the Revelation, and it simply means an unveiling. We're having the curtain pulled open for us about some things from God's point of view for the last days on this earth. And um, the seven trumpets have already sounded which means that the time has come for the judging of the dead, the rewarding of God's servants, and the destroying of those who destroy the earth. So in other words, when we start up here, we understand that the stage has been set for the final confrontation. And yet, time out, before the seven final angels pour out the seven bowls of wrath upon and the seven plagues upon the earth, that's chapter 16, John's vision takes us into a kind of play within a play, and uh, it's the longest interlude in the entire vision of the Revelation, but it's an invitation to us to see behind the curtain, the curtain of this life, and to rise above sea level, what we can see with our naked eyes, and perceive a larger reality that is at work behind the hostilities that are experienced in this world. You know the song, We Didn't Start the Fire? You know that song, We Didn't Start the Fire? But it was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire, no, but we didn't like it and we tried to fight it. John's vision, this vision right now, is taking us into the cosmic realm of spiritual truth and inviting us to see the origins of the fire. Where did it start? 
this conflict between God and Satan, between good and evil, and the mystery and the source of sin and suffering in this world. The key actors in the pageant are the woman, the dragon, the male child, and the two beasts. And once again, remember, this is apocalyptic literature. That means that it is painted in strokes that feel like you're walking through an art gallery of Salvador Dali features (laughs) with just surrounded by these images. And yet today, Matthew Wessel is giving voice, my friend, I invited him to do this, so that I could likewise hear as well. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand with us together as we give our full attention to hearing the vision that God told John to write for our blessing. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was so enraged at the woman, he went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. 
those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Please be seated. Um, though crazy and strange to us, this story would have had a familiar ring to it at the uh, time of writing. The plot line was found in stories that were told in ancient Persia, Babylonia, Greece, and Egyptian culture. And yet John sees in this vision the fulfillment of multinational longings for a deliverer that, was, that would come. That the longings that were met in the male child that was born as Messiah through Israel. It's a cosmic love story of the coming and the overcoming of Jesus Christ in his victory and his ascent to God's throne. The woman is the messianic community, receiver of God's fidelity, of God's faithful covenant love in Israel and then in those that would come from Israel, the dragon ultimately personified in Mary, Jesus' mother, the mother of Messiah. The dragon is Satan, cast down from heaven, taking one-third of the angels with him. The dragon is at war, at war in heaven, at war on earth, at war with the woman's offspring. I believe this shows us the origin of anti-Semitism that we've seen so horrifically demonstrated throughout human history. This is my personal belief. I believe racism is demonic at its root. So if you want to conquer racism, it's going to take more than secularism to do it. The dragon is at war. And the dragon is at war with the woman's offspring. The woman, the community of faith through Israel, and now her offspring, the new Israel, the church, which at the time, the people of faith in Christ are under severe persecution in the first century. And then, as I've already mentioned, we see that that is another sign of the end of time as that intensity continues to grow. The deceiver misleads the nations into believing that Christians are dangerous, deluded, duped, destructive. And just as Jesus has told his earliest followers, in this world you will have tribulation. Paul also mentioned in his epistles to Timothy that everyone who seeks to live a godly life will suffer persecution. And then we see this growing into a great tribulation, a time of profound spiritual warfare and tremendous physical hardship. So we see these images working and grinding at that, and yet we're also shown that the devil is on a leash and that God is actually using the devil's rebellion to grow his people into overcomers in the midst of this battle. So hold that thought and see these realities. Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is the opposite of Michael, the, the archangel. Satan is not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know what's going on in the whole world. And he is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere at the same time. He is limited and he is overcome. We see this in the story. 
overcome in the cosmics. He is overcome on the cross. We've already seen that in this story. And he is overcome in the end. But that doesn't mean the battle isn't raging and full of fury. The word devil means accuser. The word Satan means adversary. So your accusing adversary is a liar. Jesus said he's always lied from the beginning. He's a deceiver. He's a murderous counterfeiter who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet Jesus taught that he can be overcome. And we see it once again here, right in the middle of the fury and the rage and the wrath. You see God saying, you know, but he can be overcome. Did you hear that in here? You can overcome him. So with that in mind, (laughs) would you stand once again as now I give voice to the reading of chapter 13 in this incredible gallery of vision. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns, seven heads, with 10 crowns on his heads, and each had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like a lion, and the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne with great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he'd been given authority. He had given authority to the beast. And then they also worshiped the beast. And they asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words. And he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and all those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to overcome them, to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb, the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Let him who has an ear hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and then made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in the full view of men. Because of the signs that he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived 
the inhabitants of the earth. And he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy and sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom, for it is a man's number. His number is six, six, six. Would you be seated? Man, what is this? <laughs> you're wondering while you're hearing these things and imagining these things and, and wanting to say, wait, wait, could I sit and look at that myself? What did that really say? Now, for the sake of time, my comments have to be limited, but I want to point you to a helpful biblical resource for those of you who would like to do a little drill down study into this. And I know there are many viewpoints available on this. I told you that there were basically seven when we began the study. I want to give my attention today to one that I want to enlarge our understanding of it, and I think you'll see why in just a moment. But you can find more out about it in Dr. N.T. Wright's little book, Revelation for Everyone. And that's in the app. You can look it up in the resources there if you want to check it out a little bit later. But the imagery there, the symbols, remember this is rich in symbolic imagery, the sea symbolizes deep darkness, the mystery of the unknown, just like the abyss that we heard of earlier in one of the visions, that black hole from which is belched that which is evil beyond our understanding. So the symbolism is there. The seven heads, ten crowns, speak to an apparent political authority, the uh, fullness of headship and then those 10 crowns talk about authority that has come from somewhere. The beast was akin to the creatures of Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7, which is another portion of scripture written in apocalyptic literature. The Antichrist is who we're talking about. And John sees foreshadowed, this vision of Antichrist was foreshadowed in the time of Babylon. That's when Daniel did his ministry. Daniel chapter 7, under Babylon's oppressive rule, the totalitarian power of Babylon, and in it, what I believe we're supposed to foresee is that every totalitarian power that acts as if it were God in human history is a framework for the Antichrist. But the first century saw it in Rome, the crushing totalitarian rule of Rome and where Caesars were demanding that they be worshiped as God. Their coins even said Caesar is God. And of course the Christians wouldn't do that. There's only one God, the man, Jesus Christ. And so John was in exile because of that and the church was shedding blood because of that in the first century. In our time, we've seen it roll out too, haven't we? 
Modern times have seen it in Hitler and Stalin in other governments where economic and political and religious power are all co-opted and then collaborate together to unleash evil. That's the picture symbolically that we see. And to destroy people of faith, Christ followers. And so I, one way of understanding this, and this is what I think John is trying to say to the people in his time, the people of our time, the people of all time, that, you know, we've seen this before and we know how to handle it. Looks a lot like Babylon when Daniel was there with his buddies. And they were trying to crush every vestige of faith present. And he says, we know how to handle this. When totalitarian rule tries to eliminate faith and control political power and economic futures, we just do what Daniel did. We stay true like Daniel did. The beast from the sea, the antichrist, the beast from the earth then is his propaganda minister, his false prophet. He's the one who knows how to tickle the ears and gather the crowds. And together with the dragon, they form an unholy counterfeit trinity. Did you see this? The dragon as the father, the antichrist as the son who got wounded but yet came back. And then the false prophet, the Holy Spirit. And they staged this kind of counterfeit resurrection. I read about it three times. The one who looked like he was dead but then survived and then remember, he took a blow to the head, but then he survived, and then he went down, but he came back. It's a counterfeit resurrection. And you might also remember this, that earlier in the vision, God has already marked his people and said, I will never leave you, forsake you. I've got you, and I'm holding you tightly, come what may. You are mine. You are sealed. I sealed you in me. God has already marked his people. And yet now, in this chapter, 13, the evil one said, oh, God marks his people? I guess I'll mark mine too. Remember, he's a copycat. He's a counterfeiter. And so the evil one marks his people with 666, the number of the beast. A part of the symbolism there is obviously seven is the perfect number. Well, this is one short of that. You know, any dream of perfection is only fantasy here. This is wishful thinking. And now one short and three times over. So it, it, it's a mark of loyalty to the Antichrist that people receive either on their right hand or on their forehead in the vision in order to buy and sell. Now, you know what? I have been asked, is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? You know what I said? No. No. And maybe you've wondered that. It's, it's gotten around, you know, on, online. And well, why isn't it, Pastor? Well, let me ask you, do you receive it on your right hand or your forehead? No, that's not where the COVID vaccine is applied, but that's what the vision says. And then it, it says, in your receiving of it, you are declaring to choose your loyalty against Christ. You are aligning your loyalty with the anti-Christ. So no, the, the message here is be careful not to lift verses out of their context only in short and let somebody work your fear into a froth. Pay attention to what scripture says 
and be careful not to take it out of context. But we also see here references to two periods of the tribulation. You've heard of the tribulation. Three and a half year portions. Time, times, and half a time, and then 42 months or 1,260 days. All of these numbers are symbolic. Typically, in apocalyptic literature, they're all symbolism that we're supposed to read. Reading the symbols... Some take them as literal time periods. There is a viewpoint that believes this is calendar year dates of the last seven years of life on earth. Maybe that's how you view them, but I want to just remind you, whichever, wherever you choose to land, that numbers are typically symbolic, and either way, that we're supposed to understand that the, because in their context, I believe we're supposed to understand that the abuses and deceptions of the unholy trinity that is counterfeiting God's work, though intense, have a limited shelf life. They're only like a three and a half year period. And there's a hard stop. It won't go on twice that. Which brings us to chapter 14. You ready to look at another one of these vision gallery paintings? Then let's stand together and listen with your sanctified imagination open. And let's invite the Holy Spirit just to help us. Period. (laughs) Help us. Then I looked. And there before me was the Lamb. Standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a, a loud peal of thunder. And the sound that I heard was like that of harpists and they were playing their harps and and they sang a new song before the throne and the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 that had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women. They kept themselves pure. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and then offered as first fruits to God. And the lamb, no lie was found in their mouths. They're blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had, he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who lived on earth. To every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. And he said in a loud voice, fear God. And give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen. Fallen is Babylon, the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And a third angel followed him and said, 
Them and a loud voice said, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb, and the smoke of his torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image. For anyone who receives the mark of his name, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. And I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he, was seated on, he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he said, he too had a, a sharp sickle and still another angel who had charge of the fire came to the altar and called out in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, take your sharp Sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and then threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridle for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Be seated. Is this wild? I mean, you're just finding yourself like, what? 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 Wait, 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 back up. What? What? What is this? What's going on, right? Uh, and that last image, man, that's an image. One extremely conservative dispensationalist interpreter says, surely that's hyperbole. That means that for somebody who wants to take images as literal as possible, he's saying, no, this is symbol. Symbol, a river of blood four feet deep and 180 miles long, he says that's hyperbole means extreme exaggeration for sake of punch. For like, what? Wake up. What just hit me? The vision interlude ends. This last vision is a scene of worship around the lamb once again. We've been in worship around the lamb before in the story, remember? But now we're around the, 
around Mount Zion, and now this time, 144,000 sealed by the Lord are all there, representing, as we've learned before, the complete number of the redeemed, 12 times 12, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples of Christ, Israel, new Israel, all the redeemed community gathered together, seated with the Lord, standing, the, the Lord is there, but they're standing with the Lord on Mount Zion which is like ground zero for God's revelation on earth, Jerusalem. And in this scene of worship, they're not only standing with the Lord, they're singing to the Lord. And it's a new song that they've learned because of the spiritual adversity and the physical challenge that they've come through. Chapter 13, as we've already mentioned, is really a chapter of counterfeits. The liar, the deceiver is been doing a lot of play acting in that chapter. A false trinity, a false resurrection, a false series of miracles that make people go, whoa, look at that. Nobody like the beast. Counterfeits. But we get into chapter 14, guess what? This is a real deal. <laughs> there's, there, there's the real Lord right there. The lamb was standing with his real warriors in the spirit. Those who have disciplined themselves to stay focused on him in the midst of this weirdness and this crazy battle that's going on. Real warrior followers that are faithful to Christ and first fruits to God. Being presented as an act of worship, bringing their themselves as their tithe that day. But even as they enter their rest in this vision, it says that, um, that God's real justice continues to roll out as the final harvest begins. And three angels announce that. First angel says, now the gospel is going out everywhere to everybody, all nations, tribes, Secondly, the second angel says, and Babylon, the world system that is in rebellion apart from God is going down. It's had its day and now time's up. And so we're reminded that though you can gain the whole world, you can lose your own soul. This is the evil marked by the unholy trinity. And then the separation of people is coming soon. The lambs are the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, the beast's people will go into torment. The Lord's people will go into blessing. And we're going to pick that up next time we're together in chapter 15. But here I got three takeaways for those who would grow to be overcomers. Because in the midst of the chapter and at the end of the chapters, here's what we see. God's desire is for his people to become overcomers. Right there. And here they are, real quick. Shun false worship and instead worship Jesus. That's what, that's what we see happening. Live for Jesus, verse 11 in chapter 12, it says they overcame him, meaning the devil, by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let me unpack that real quickly for a moment. The blood of the lamb means that you are covered by his forgiving grace 
from Christ on the cross for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And the evil one who wants to slander you and shame you and keep you captive to those old tapes and those old memories and those old behaviors loses his power because of the blood of the lamb. That's how we overcome. The goal is overcome in the middle of the battle. And when those dark voices tell us, you're not worthy, you don't have it, what it takes, who, God doesn't want to know. The cross settles that forever for us. And then it says that the word of their testimony, did you know that your story is a weapon unleashed in the spiritual battle of this life? That the Holy Spirit calling you to Christ and coming alive in your life, you're being filled with his spirit and living your story advances the kingdom in the face of the evil one. Do you have a story of how your life has changed because of the forgiveness of Christ and now the fullness of his spirit? And then finally it says, they didn't love their lives so, as, so much as to shrink from death. In other words, they're fearless. When they, when they face this ultimate sacrifice of their physical life, they do it because they know Jesus has already been there on the cross and he's shown us the way out on the other side by the resurrection. And Jesus taught us this. He said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you'll save it. And he says, so take up your cross and follow me. Don't let dying to self keep you from living for God. That's really where the power is unleashed against the evil one. So we're not afraid to die to self. We don't, we don't like it, <laughs> but that's where the freedom is. And then endure patiently and stay faithful to Jesus. The battle is raging on and we find ourselves facing the pressure and holding up under it and wondering how long is this gonna go on? But he said, wisdom means that you will endure faithfully and keep persevering. I remember reading one time that the diamond is simply a piece of coal that's stuck to the job under pressure. And that's what he's talking about here. We don't have to give in, we don't have to give up, we just keep looking forward to what God is doing. And then finally, follow the lamb wherever he goes. Chapter 14, verse four says it just that plainly, follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now, if while we've been reading this, you've found it confusing and you're just thinking, man, this is like way too much. I don't know how to keep up with this. I'm trying to connect all these dots and those weird pictures and the dragon and the serpent and the beast and the monster and you know all that stuff. Man, okay, if it all seems too confusing, you know what? You don't have to figure it out in order to experience its victory. You just be faithful to Jesus and follow the lamb wherever he goes. That's what he's trying to say here, I think. He's trying to say, don't you know, he loves you. He's fighting for you. He's never going to give up on you. He's here for you right now. So if while you're reading this or hearing this, you kind of feel like a toddler in a room full of adults that are having a conversation on another level, and you're hearing the sounds, and they've got the, vo and the intonations up and down, and, but they don't know what they're talking about, you know what? That's okay. If it doesn't really make a lot of sense to you, it's okay. Because in time it will, as we grow in faith in Christ, in our views of that reality from where you sit. And that's why I think John is saying, you know, you gotta sit with this, you gotta hear this. You gotta soak in it for a while for certain parts of it to open up for you. And you're gonna need somebody to explain it to you. 
and understanding will grow over time as we take the journey together. So let me commend you for hanging in there through the reading and saying, what, wait, how, why, Lord, what are you, are you trying to say something to me? I, I wanna hear you if you are. That's part of what this is. Now, somebody, you may be wondering, why didn't I tell you to watch out for 666? I don't know if you're wondering about that. Let me just tell you right now, okay. Watch out for 666. Some interpreters just make that the whole big deal over this. I'm saying don't be put off by that, not hearing me say that. You know, some, some people think it's gonna be a literal mark. Other people think that it is a symbol of living under the world system that says, I get my identity, I get my security, I get everything, my economic future, my political understanding, and my spiritual reality all comes because I'm wearing the beast's mark, not a physical mark, but I'm living under the values of that kingdom apart from God. And here's what Jesus said, you can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. You know what's more important than avoiding the mark of the beast? It's bearing the mark of the lamb. And we heard that here. We heard it multiple times. So what I want to say, what does it look like to bear the mark of the lamb? It means that your sins are forgiven in Christ, past, present, and future, that you have been washed by his forgiving grace. You have been connected to his story by the presence of his spirit. You're trusting his word to guide you in truth. You have a testimony, the word of your testimony. Do you have a testimony? of my life used to be like this, but I met Jesus and now I'm just like this. And then he said, you're following the lamb wherever he leads. Don't get distracted by the counterfeits. There's, there are tons of them and they're gonna increase. Just focus on Christ and the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is the lamb of God who is standing high over Zion, who was lifted over Jerusalem, and when he's lifted up, says, I will draw all to me. In a postmodern world where everybody's making their own truth and secularism likes to play God these days, how are we supposed to get through? Well, we do it just like Daniel did. You stay true. You shun false worship and worship Christ. You endure patiently, trusting God to be up to something bigger and then you stay true to the Lord and follow the lamb wherever he goes. Would you pray with me? And sister, brother, what is it that the Spirit has said to you today? Because that's where he wants you to lean in. Lord, I'm listening. Would you speak more clearly? Would you speak a little louder? Would you help me see what my next step is? But let's start by offering this prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that all of my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future in Jesus Christ. I don't understand that, but I sure appreciate it. And thank you that there is power in the word of my testimony, that the story you are writing in my life has life change in it, in the midst of a world that is going down, that my story can still be a part of how to go through and how to rise up. Help me to live fully in the story you're writing in my life. And thank you, Lord, that to love you is to learn how to escape simply self-preservation 
and that in dying to self, I can live in your victory. Teach me to be an overcomer. Perhaps, friend, this is the day you know that something deep is supposed to happen between you and God. And you've been religious, but Jesus wants to invite you into a relationship today. If you would like to take that step of faith, here's a prayer you might join me in offering. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I am turning from my way to go your way right now. And I receive your spirit into my life. Make me the person you want me to be and help me as I take steps to follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer and answering it as I ask it in your name. Our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, I'm gonna ask you simply to slip your hand up for a moment, hold it so that I can see. If you're joining us online, then please let us know in the chat so that we can pray with you and for you right now. And Kendall Campus, we're... Our eyes and hearts are with you and on you and asking God, Spirit, to call us forward to him. Lord, we thank you for every person who by uplifted hand, thank you, I see you in the back to my right, all the way back in the back of the room. For every person, Lord, in the middle here, who by uplifted hand is saying, my heart is open and I'm listening and responding. May they sense and know the joy and peace of your presence in them as you have answered their prayer. Let them know that you are their Savior now and forever as we make it in your name. Amen.